Hello and welcome to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm BHE Digital Managing Editor Tom Valentino, and today I am joined by Jonathan DiCarlo, the CEO of C4 Consulting in Algonquin, Illinois. Jonathan is presenting a session on leadership at this weekend's Rocky Mountain Symposium on Addictive Disorders in Denver, and we appreciate him taking some time to join us. Jonathan, welcome to the BHE Podcast. Tom, thank you so much, and I'm honored to be here and grateful for the opportunity to present at the uh, conference this weekend uh, in Denver and uh, the upcoming conference uh, in Scottsdale in November. Yeah, we will uh, We will definitely get into that as well uh, as we move along here. But shifting gears towards uh, what you're going to be talking about here in, in Denver this weekend, we're starting to look at you know leadership. How can organizations identify clinicians and supervisors who are on staff right now who could be potential candidates for being elevated into executive roles? Certainly. I think one of the, the real keys is understanding what the organizational career pathways are. So when we talk about organizational management and and looking at, you know, clinicians, you know, growing into leadership, you know, ultimately really supervision is the key to that internal to an organization, but being able to take that information experience from supervision and being able to connect that to what is the organizational, you know, strategic plan for growth or current, you know, execution needs of the organization is really a key, being able to take those two pieces of information, of understanding someone's strengths, their growth opportunities, their career trajectory, and their own career growth plans is really a part of both supervision internal to an organization and growth for the organization as a whole. How would you say the skills of therapists and clinical supervisors are similar uh, to the skills required for leadership positions? Uh, at the executive level? And uh, how do those two different levels uh, differ? Well, let's let's take a minute and list some of the, the skills of a clinician, right? Uh, certainly active listening, consistency, communication, uh, critical thinking, problem solving, empathy, you know, certainly uh, important for a clinician, flexibility, uh, implementation, right? Being able to implement the treatment plans and work with the person served. Uh, certainly for a clinician, it's, it's a person-served focused, uh, you know, activity, right? The the people, the clients, the patients, the participants, uh, the family members that they are, are serving in the treatment process. Uh, it's certainly about understanding as a clinician integrated disciplines, not just one discipline. And really a clinician is the facilitator of the experience of someone's care, right? When we look at leadership and and the skills of what are the how-to skills in, in clinical leadership or executive leadership, more importantly? It's communication, agility, uh, trust and respect, uh, delegation, and being able to delegate not just tasks, but uh, organizational implementation, right? Being able to have strong skills for motivation, uh, accountability, uh, and mutual responsibility. Um, being able to mutually share feedback right, would be certainly a leadership skill in the executive level, uh, creativity and vision, uh, and certainly a slight difference uh, would be human capital management or, or human resource management, right, really being able to manage not just an individual's or a family's experience, but uh, a group or team's experiences or teams of teams' experiences. And leadership roles focus on 
being the architect of the model in executive leadership, where the clinician is the facilitator of the experience. A leadership role is really the architect of the whole process of uh, the experience, you know, from pre-admission all the way through post-discharge and, and ongoing continuing care and alumni activities and engagement forward. Do you have a formal process that you recommend for assessing a staff member's leadership re- uh, readiness? Does it vary on a case-by-case basis? Um, what's the process there? I think, you know, it really comes down to the organization uh, in many instances, but from a practice and, and an evidence-based experience standpoint for leadership, you know, to take things from principles to practice, it, it really is about using I think effective supervision tools internal to an organization. So something uh, like the professional quality of life scale, right, in clinical supervision uh, is one tool that is often used in supervision of clinicians. And being able to translate that information, you know, from those supervision tools into performance management. So really looking at the skill set pathways that that need to be developed or can be developed with someone. Uh, in a career path or organizational growth. So their understanding of their relationship of their work from finance admissions, uh, the difference between business development as marketing and business development as uh, program or business growth, right? Uh, the difference between, and, and being able to understand and help an individual in their growth path understand the difference between compliance as a clinician uh, in comparison to compliance management for an organization uh, and not just how well they understand it, but can they learn to apply those same still skill sets forward? Uh, and I think in management, it's really understanding someone's opportunity and assessing their ability to translate between time and task management to managing people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, clinical supervision, uh, you know, and being an effective clinical supervisor doesn't always translate to someone having great skill sets in performance management within leadership. And and one of the keys certainly to be able to assess for for someone in a, in a clinical leadership role or someone growing into a, a clinical leadership role that may want to, or the organization may want to promote someone into an executive leadership role is really looking at, you know, the, the opportunity for interdepartmental collaboration and how well uh, or how willing is someone to learn and grow and being able to not just you know, be the expert in their specific domain or discipline, but work with other disciplines within the organization. You know, how well can someone work with the finance department? How well can someone, uh, you know, build relationships with the different types of stakeholders that leadership uh, interface with and are responsible to serve? Uh, And again, that highlights a bit of a difference between, you know, where a clinician or leadership role focuses uh, on what that is. So being able to, to use tools that understand and relate the strengths of someone. And so being able to use tools such, to, such as, say, the Clifton Strengths Finder, for example, uh, along with the, the professional quality of life scale, and then say, how does that fit in with the objective key results and the key performance indicators that the organization uses or intends to use? And how well do those skill sets transpose? And, and then giving someone opportunity. I think one of the best ways to do that is, you know, in terms of organizational growth, is to actively be engaging people at every level of the organization with various tasks to be able to help them grow in those areas towards a leadership role, even if it's not executive leadership, 
but helping them develop those leadership skills across the organization and then being able to evaluate what's that response. You, you had mentioned some tools um, that can help assist with development of leaders. Um, by and large, are, is it a process that, you know, you think a lot of organizations can really handle internally as they're developing a growth plan for future leaders? Um, are there other resources that you would recommend in, in terms of, uh, you know, bringing in third parties for, you know, continuing education and uh, other things along those lines? I think it depends on the size and scope of the organization and what is their human capital management investment in looking at things like supervision, not just as a measure of compliance, but for organizational growth. Uh, there's a great set of uh, organizational health questions by the author Pat Lencioni, and he asks six critical questions. Uh, and they're really important and they're the answer, I think, to, to the question that you asked. Right. His six questions are, why do we exist? How do we behave? What do we do? How will we succeed? What is most important right now? And who must do what? When an organization uh, has really clear answers across the entire culture of the organization, and everyone in every role can answer those questions for their role and their team's roles, uh, that's a, a really great measure of organizational health. But it's also a key pathway to being able to say, what are the tools that we need and do we need assistance to be able to implement those things? Often uh, there are challenges internally to an organization just from a, a, a human capital perspective that there's not enough opportunity that people wear multiple hats. Uh, they may be the executive director and the clinical director and do they have time to be able to do some of these things? So often organizations uh, of a certain size or capacity may use external supervision and you know we certainly encourage that. Uh, and I think there are times where it's best to have uh, a third party come in and assist with that process, whether it's an educational provider, whether it's a consulting group uh, or specialists in a particular area of growth for the organization. Uh, I, I do think that a balance of both is most efficient in organizations that we encounter that do this incredibly well, use a mix of services internally and externally to, to meet their goals and their growth needs. All right. So you mentioned best practices from the organizations that are doing things well? Are there any uh, common mistakes in terms of leadership development that you see organizations making that maybe our listeners should be on the lookout for? Absolutely. And it'll it'll come down to uh, an issue that I've talked about consistently in my responses. And if uh, an astute listener is listening, they know that the lack of uh, really cohesive and integrated supervision in an organization isn't linked to career development pathways within the organization. That's a huge mistake that organizations make consistently is that they don't have a strategy, uh, you know, when it comes to organizational health and growth with leadership. Uh, often it's the person who survives the longest in a position uh, that gets elevated, but they may not have all of the skills necessary for the organizational need at the time. They may have some. Uh, and so really not deploying resources consistently and building these as a normal part of the culture and the practice of of the business and the organization is the biggest shortcoming. You know, it's extremely hard to coach someone up into a position uh, if they don't have the desire to do it. Um, so someone may want to be an amazing clinician and grow into being an amazing clinician of the persons that they serve, but they may not want to ever be in leadership and find themselves in a leadership role. Someone may want to uh, you know, end up in a in a leadership role, 
but start out in a discipline, you know, within the business that isn't going to give them the skill set growth in their pathway uh, towards being a part of that leadership team in the most effective way. So, you know, that that mistake is really not looking ahead and not having systemic thinking and practices around these concerns. All right. So as we mentioned earlier, you're in Denver this weekend for the Rocky Mountain Symposium. But uh, as you alert, alluded to, uh, a couple months from now, our listeners are going to be able to catch you at the Treatment Center Investment and Valuation Retreat West in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, when you're there, you're going to be taking part uh, in a session on uh, another topic that is certainly on the mind of a lot of the executives in the behavioral health care field, and that is compliance. Um, beyond ensuring that your organization is compliant with all uh, relevant regulations, um, what are some of the other organizational benefits that you see of having a, a solid compliance and audit strategy and, and you know, looking ahead? Uh, I really, it comes down to, um, you know, I think the definition that, uh, you know, my co-presenter, Nicholas Howell, CEO of Northern Illinois Recovery Center, uh, and I came up with, and it's really, you know, when compliance grows within a culture uh, of a clearly defined, clearly articulated and, and clearly actionable mutual responsibility uh, to promote standards and practices for care, uh, the insurance of the desired outcomes uh, are, can be sustainably experienced. So I think the overall value is really not looking at compliance as something that quote unquote needs to be done and is this arduous task, but really it's an investment in the success of the organization. Uh, most of the time compliance in behavioral health care uh, focuses on issues related to participant safety, uh, privacy of the participant information or billing practices. And the truth is that having a culture of compliance really is the best way to ensure that all aspects of the organization are functioning at their best all of the time. Um, so, you know, it's really more about the culture of compliance than anything else. When you have that strong culture of compliance, it um, naturally will lead to uh, improved quality of care as well, right? Absolutely. And it's really the only way that it can happen. It's really, you know, coming down to thinking about compliance as the way to show your work, right? And to be able to ensure that we're constantly looking at not just the, the macro large issues that people identify that may come up in an audit, for example, but really the the day-to-day -day micro needs uh, of an organization to continue looking at constant improvement, you know, even the best organizations and in fact, the best organizations are always looking at how can we improve each aspect of the process uh, of the experience from pre-admission all the way through, you know, post-treatment completion or, or service discharge uh, onward into what's that, what's that customer journey look like? What does that participant journey look like uh, internally for, you know, employees and, and staff or for stakeholders within the organization. So it's it's both and uh, equaling participant outcomes when it comes to compliance. you have any uh, do's and don'ts that you would share uh, for building a, a compliance and audit strategy in terms of, you know, what are some of the other questions that uh, as an executive you should be, you know, looking at in terms of your existing uh, compliance infrastructure and, and you know, where might there be some gaps in what you're doing currently and, and what's the best way to go forward in addressing those? Yeah, I think ultimately really the, the, the do's and don'ts are really related. It's really 
look at and measure what is your organization's understanding of compliance, right? Is it embedded in the culture or is it something that is dedicated to, you know, the compliance department's job to, you know, make sure it happens. And and that I think is one of the don'ts is don't isolate it, but have compliance be integrated into everyone's daily routines. Uh, one of the biggest things that happens with compliance management that leads to challenge and audits is that people don't look at it as a, a daily operation or a daily opportunity, but they look at it as a routine task that needs to be done, say, when an accrediting body is, you know, coming in for renewal of your accreditation or, uh, a payer has announced, uh, if they announce, that they're coming in for an audit. Uh, anybody uh, working with public health payer systems, uh, such as uh, Medicaid or any kind of state funding, uh, know that those audits are routine and regular. Uh, and anyone working with uh, commercial insurance payers, for example, can expect that audits are going to happen uh, with some frequency. And so really just ultimately being prepared uh, for it is to make it a daily activity rather than we do it, you know, once a year, once every two years. So the don't is don't wait and expect and think that you're going to maintain compliance uh, in some, you know, periodic fashion other than doing what your policies, procedures and protocols say on a daily basis. And that's the do is to really build it in as a part of the culture to, you know, leverage the systems and tools uh, as the methods that you already have in place. And most organizations have probably 80 to 90% of what they need within the systems, but then looking at what are some other opportunities and systems and tools that may benefit the organization to reduce the amount of time uh, and, and increase the uh, effectiveness of compliance uh, adherence and compliance as a cultural norm to the organization, and then really ultimately make it a normative practice for the organization uh, is, is one of the most consistent things that we recommend is to, to not look at it as this something that has to be done, you know, quote unquote, but that's something that really is the best way to ensure that you're showing your work, that you can not only document it, but that you have the evidence for areas of improvement. And making those small micro changes along the way is the best way to have, uh, you know, organized and strategic compliance. You know, that way you know exactly what you're working towards, what's going consistently, when there's a change uh, in a process, who's doing what. And again, those six critical questions from Pat Lencioni apply to compliance just as consistently as they did to leadership. Uh, and it really is that way of saying, we know what's happening. We know what's going on. We know who's doing what. You know, expectations are really clear. Accountability and responsibility are shared, uh, and and people know where to ask for help when they need it when a challenge arises. And, you know, conversely, it's the best way to measure success and ensure that you're actually achieving the goals that you want to achieve throughout the process. A lot of people look at compliance just in terms of, you know, clinical compliance or, you know. Uh, human capital management compliance. And that's that's one of the areas where uh, when folks who are joint commission accredited come in, you know, human resource files are the areas that usually are the things that people aren't doing consistently. So making sure all the documentation that your policy says is going to be in that employee file is there. Uh, and it's usually, you know, things like updated training certifications that people get dinged on or cited for for plans of correction. 
Um, but it's really looking at it not as a deficiency, but an opportunity to grow when you identify some area where you're you're struggling to maintain consistency, right? So that that idea of strategic compliance and the do's is always know what you're working on and what can be improved on. All right. A lot of good stuff there. I do believe that's going to be a good stopping point for us. Jonathan DiCarlo, C4 Consulting CEO, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much, Tom, and thank all the participants at all of the conferences as events, and uh, have a wonderful day. All right. As a reminder, you could subscribe to the BHE podcast on Apple Podcasts and most other podcast listing platforms. All past episodes of the show are also available on our website, behavioral.net. Our thanks once again to C4 Consulting CEO Jonathan DiCarlo for joining us today. I'm Tom Valentino, and this has been the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. 